You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. So today we begin a new series entitled Foundations. A foundation can be a doctrine or a principle upon which something stands or the ground on which something is built up or overlaid. Anyone who has ever had a home and suffered a crack in their foundation understands the importance of this. And in our Christian life, our firm foundation is first Christ the solid rock. And all that we value and stand for should rest upon Him. So let's don't forget that. Now, there are several basic and foundational characteristics that are the hallmarks of all spiritually healthy and growing Christians. Bedrock traits like character, like generosity, discipleship, and worship, just to name a few. And these qualities should be found in great degree in all of us who profess the name of Jesus. Not because I said so, but because the Word of God says so. Because the apostles says so. Because the Old Testament prophets say so. And most of all, because Jesus Christ Himself said so. And because these foundations have been made so clear to us, we need to be a people who strive to do as Jesus instructs us in Matthew chapter 27. To not only hear God's Word, but to put it into practice. Ultimately, if we'll understand this, ultimately, only the Holy Spirit can change us from within. But Jesus himself tells us here to practice these things. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what to practice and how, as the Bible instructs us, so that we might rest on firm foundations. Now let's look at our theme passage for this entire series, which is found in Matthew chapter 7, and we'll begin there with verse 24. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been Founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, this is our theme passage for this series. But now I want us to look at the passage. For today's sermon, and that is in Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. This is what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, And Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now see how many of these common phrases we hear so often you can complete. Okay, you ready for this? If it sounds too good to be true, it is. We make money the old-fashioned way. We are earning. There's no such thing as a free. There is no gain without pain. God helps those who. And you don't find that in the Bible, do you? Everything about the American way of life teaches us this simple truth. In life, you get what you earn, you get what you work for, you get what you pay for. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, that really should be the American way. The problem is many people think the same way you relate to your paycheck or your possessions is the way you relate to God. But God does not relate to us on the basis of our goodness. He relates to us on the basis of His grace. Aren't you thankful? And I want to talk today about what to me, next to Jesus, is the sweetest word in all of the Bible. The word grace. Today I want to talk about God's amazing grace. Apart from grace, you cannot know God. You cannot understand God. And apart from grace, you cannot relate to God. I don't know of a word that is more important to the church than the word grace. You see, without grace, we would have to close our doors because we would not have a ministry. Without grace, I would be without a job because I wouldn't have a message. Now, there are many definitions of grace, but let me just give you two. They're on the screen here. First, grace is anything that I need, but don't deserve that I could never repay but God gives to me anyway. Second, grace is the face that God puts on when he looks at my failures, my faults, and my flaws. Now, most believers know what grace is, and there have been uncounted millions of unbelievers who have sung songs about what we call amazing grace. But I believe there are a lot of believers, and I believe that all unbelievers don't understand what grace does, and that is the focus of this great passage from the pen of the Apostle Paul we're going to study today. First of all, what I want you to see is grace saves us from sin's penalty. Most of you in this room have been saved from sin's penalty. Amen? It says in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? All men. All men. Now focus on that one phrase. The grace of God that brings salvation. Notice immediately, it is not the goodness of people that bring salvation. It is not the sincerity of religion that brings salvation. It is the grace of God and the grace of God only that brings salvation. Now, to understand what grace really is, you've got to put two adjectives with it. First of all, it is unconditional grace. Unconditional grace. I could talk all day 
how we put conditions on people. But God loves unconditionally. So it's unconditional grace. There are no strings attached to God's grace. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is no way you can work for it. And there is no way you can afford to pay for it. It is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You know what that means? That means that salvation is not based on my performance. It is based on God's promise. It is not based on my merit. It is based on God's mercy. It is not based on my goodness. It is based on God's grace. We have such a poor understanding today of what grace really is. For example, in the business world, loan companies have what they call a grace period. And maybe some of you or us have been thankful for that grace period. If you don't pay your debt on time, maybe you get a 5 or 10 or 15 day grace period. And then you get a notice and then they tack on a late charge. I've got news for you. That isn't grace, that is probation. Okay? But the grace that I'm talking about is totally unconditional. So let me ask you a question. How do you spell salvation? Now I'm not talking about literally Think about it. Let me tell you what I mean. Many people spell salvation D-O, do. That is, there is something we have to do to be saved, whether it is join a church, do good works, give to the poor, but you have to do something. Some people want to spell salvation D-O. O-N-T. Don't. There's this thinking. If you don't do certain things like murder, rape, robbery, steal, then you're saved. But do you know how God spells salvation? D-O-N-E. Done. There are no strings attached. There is no fine print. In the contract. When you accept Jesus Christ in your heart, God accepts you into his family. Man, I meet people every day who are striving, straining, trying, yearning, and burning to earn the grace of God when all you have to do is just simply receive salvation as a gift. It's simplicity. I heard about a man who always went to work by taking a ferry from one end of the river to the other. And one day he was running real, real late for work. And as he started running down that long hill to the ferry, he was about 12 feet from it. And he just jumped as far as he could and actually landed on the other side of the ferry. He busted his lip. He ripped his shirt. He tore his pants. I mean, but he made it. He was so excited, he leaped up, and he said, Can you believe what I just did? Then the captain of the ferry looked up at him. He said, Son, we weren't going out. We were coming in. Now look at that phrase again. The grace of God that brings 
salvation. See, God has personally hand-delivered salvation to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful this morning? Two of you are. Aren't you thankful this morning? All we have to do is take it. So it is unconditional grace. But it is also unmerited grace. You cannot understand what it means to have a relationship with God without understanding grace because that is the only way you can have a relationship with God. The only place that grace is available is through Jesus Christ. Acts 15, 11 says, but we believe that what? We will be saved through the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now, why must it come through Jesus Christ. I mean, why can't it come through Buddha or Mohammed or a pastor or a priest? Because Jesus is the one who paid for it. Nobody else has ever volunteered to pay for your sins. Nor has anyone died for your sins. Nor has anyone's payment been accepted for your sins except Jesus Christ. Do we understand that this morning? I want you to understand that grace is free, but grace is not cheap. Somebody had to pay for your sins, and that is what Jesus did. You cannot earn what has already been bought and paid for. You can receive it, or you can reject it, but you cannot earn it. People, that is the true grace of God. If you've ever played Monopoly, there's a part of that game that is a great illustration of grace. Man, it's always a blessing to get it. It's called the, what? Get out of jail free card. Amen. You see, grace is God's go to heaven free card. He gives us when we receive Jesus Christ. So remember, grace saves us from sin's penalty. But notice next. Grace strengthens us against sin's power. Now, we are immediately told in verse 12 that this grace that has appeared teaches us. The moment you become a believer, you not only become a part of God's family, but you're also enrolled in Grace University. So if you've never gone to school, guess what? You have been enrolled in Grace University when you become a believer. And guess who's the professor? There's only one. There's only one, and his name is Dr. Grace. The first day you go to school, he teaches you two lessons. God loves you just the way you are. Secondly, God loves you too much to let you stay that way. Three lessons I learned when I attended the University of Mobile. For some of you who don't know that, that's in Alabama. That's just like Cedarville, okay, University. Three things. Number one is we can leave the sinful life. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. I know some people that believe grace is a dangerous doctrine. Now here's a whole big sentence, but listen very carefully. They say that if you teach a person that he is saved by grace and that goodness and good works have nothing to do with receiving salvation, then people will think they can just receive God's grace 
and go out and live any way they want to. In fact, the very thing was happening in the early church. Now, our ladies just got through in a Bible study on Jude. And I'm really looking forward to later doing a series on Jude. And if you don't know about Jude, just go read it. Listen to what this says in Jude 4 in the New Living Translation. I love this wording. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. You know what Jude does? Jude calls anyone who teaches this type of trash godless. And I said amen to that. You see, grace does not give you the license to live like you want to live. It gives you the liberty to live like you ought to. A big difference, isn't it? You know what grace does? It changes you. It changes your heart because God gives you a new heart. It changes your head because you begin to think the way that Jesus wants you to think. It changes your habits because you just want to do those things that bring glory and honor to the one who has given you grace to begin with. I know that a person has experienced the grace of God when two things are true about them. First, they cannot live like they used to. And secondly, they want to live like they ought to. I heard someone say one time, if your religion has not changed your life, then you had better change your religion. Listen, when grace comes into your life, it not only gives you a love for God, but it also gives you a hatred for sin. So we can leave the sinful life, but we can live the sanctified life. Now by sanctified, I mean a life that is set apart for God's will and God's glory. That is why we continue to read in verse 12. We should live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Man, our world is falling apart at the seams, isn't it? You don't see this happening much, do you? You may not realize it, but those three words right there take care of every part of your life. You see, the Bible says that we are three-part beings. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, first of all, we are to live soberly. That means we are to live under self-control. That deals with my soul or my inward life. Through grace, I allow God to control my thoughts and my attitudes. Then it says, I am to live righteously. That deals with my body or the outward life. The Christian is someone in whom Christ lives. When Christ comes to live within you, you simply live out the Christ that lives in you. Pretty simple, isn't it? Then I am to live godly. That deals with my spirit or the upward life. I am to live like God would live and like God would want me to live. Here's the point. God not only gives you grace to live with him in heaven, he gives you grace so you can live with him on earth. That's what I call the abundant life. The Bible talks about that. I talked about that last week. Next, 
we can love the servant life. What does grace do for us? It makes us zealous for God. It makes us zealous for good works. That word zealous literally means boiling or burning hot. Grace literally will set you on fire to be right, to do right, to act right, and to live right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says this. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance of every good work. You see, some people think that grace is the end of being saved. Quite the contrary, it's just the beginning. The grace that saves you from sin is the grace that sends you to serve. That's why you hear every time when Ben or somebody does the welcome, we talk about most of the time if we have this event. We need people serving. We need to understand it. You don't need to sit on your blessed assurance. We need help. And we have activities. We have events. And we're trying to reach our community. So understand that. And that is a thing that grace does. Notice the last thing about grace. Grace will separate us from sin's presence. Verse 13 tells us that we are to be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, I've been looking more today than I ever have in my life for that. One day, by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us away from the very presence of sin. You see, Jesus came the first time to take my sin away from me. And he's coming the second time to take me away from my sin. When he comes back, he's not only coming to take me to something, he's going to take me from something. I don't know how often you think about heaven, but I will promise you this. The older you get, the more you will think about it. The sicker you get, You'll also think about it. Guys, in the last two or three weeks, when I have to start listing people in my phone, because I have a decent memory when it comes to remembering a lot of sick people and their conditions, but I have to go to my phone and my notes are just loaded down. We have eight or ten people with the same types of cancer and different cancer. Some have had surgeries. Some are awaiting surgeries. Some are curable. Some are incurable. Some have been giving a year or less. Some are waiting on chemo. Some are taking chemo. Some are waiting on radiation. Some are taking radiation. I have been in the hospitals. I have been in the homes. And this is just all in a matter of days and weeks. We have another man who is watching, who has Parkinson's, who went on an Israel trip with us. And do you understand when I'm talking to some of these people? I'm talking about faithful saints of God. You know they're saved. And this is what happened. Pastor, I just wonder if I've done enough. You ever thought about that? I mean, God knows I've come close to death a couple of times in my life. And it makes you stop and makes you think. And I want to tell you, I don't know about you. I don't know your age. But you know you can identify with me. You know, again, when I was 
12 or 13, I said, boy, I can't wait till I get 16 to get my license. I can't wait till I get 21 just to be legal for something. Can't wait till I'm 25. That legalized me for something else. I don't know. And now, you get depressed because you turned 40. You have a midlife crisis because you hit 50. And now in my seventh decade at 62. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Dear God, where did all the time go? Listen, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the rest of the day. But I want you to know, and this is what I want you to remember is this. You won't need bars over your windows in heaven. You won't need locks on your doors in heaven. And you won't need alarm systems around your home in heaven. In heaven, there are no police because there is no crime. There are no courts because there will be no criminals. There are no jails because there are no convicts. And it is all and only by the grace of God Almighty. Almost every business person in America knows the name Peter Drucker. He has an IQ that is off the chart. He is the father of American management. In fact, he wrote the first book of management over 50 years ago. And his books are studied even to this day in every business school in America and around the world. You may not know this, but Peter Drucker is also a Christian. A very close friend of Peter Drucker went to his home one day to talk with him, and he said to him, How is it that you finally became a Christian? How did you finally step across the line and put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord? He said, Peter Drucker thought about it for just a second, and this is what he said. When I finally understood grace, I realized I was never going to get a better deal than that. Amen? You're never going to get a better deal than that, people. Well, you're never going to get a better deal than the deal I'm going to offer you. Jesus says, for your sin, God is willing to give you His salvation. For your failures, God is willing to give you His forgiveness. For your guilt, God is willing to give you His grace. All of it, absolutely Free. Absolutely. You need to understand. We may not get a better deal. And it didn't cost us anything. But it cost Jesus Christ his very life. Isaiah says this. 30.18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Let me close this out. A study by the Barna Group of Americans 18 years or older claimed to have made a personal commitment to Jesus. Yet further questions reveal that only 7% hold orthodox views on topics including biblical inerrancy, salvation, and evangelism. Only 7%. Jesus gives us a guide for what true conversion looks like for the Christian. Hear the word, understand the word, and produce fruit. That's what the word of God says. These are the marks or evidence of genuine conversion. And let's not forget that this is possible 
only by grace, not human effort. Jesus called for fruit, and James declared that a life without it possesses no truth, faith at all. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You know, a troubling reality in much of evangelical life is that convincing someone they are saved seems to take precedence over making sure someone actually is saved. Did you hear that? None of us is the Holy Spirit, and we cannot know who is saved and who is not. All we can know are the marks giving in Scripture for true saving faith. And maybe you're here today, and you've held off accepting Jesus because you are afraid of being rejected. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that anyone who wants to come to Jesus can come to Jesus and will be accepted because that is what grace is all about. For some of you parents today who dedicated your children, for all of you, for everybody in this place, we need to pray that our kids come to know Christ at an early age. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, people, I don't know how to do anything but pray for you in this day and age that we're in right now. To pray and to get your kids involved in the church. To get them involved in doing something for the Lord. Why don't you bow your heads right now as we close and every head bowed and every eye closed. As Robin comes and we get ready for invitation, if you don't know about this Jesus that we've talked about today, let me just share what he did for you. What he did for you and what he did for me. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you so you can have eternal life in heaven. It's because of his amazing grace that he did this for you and for me. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you can know his love this morning and that grace by admitting you are a sinner and believing that he died on the cross for you. Just ask him to forgive you and he will save you. Place your faith and trust in him. He wants to be the Lord, the boss, and the Savior of your life. And He will guide you. And you can have this grace and this freedom and this joy through Jesus. And if you want this free gift of eternal life, then you can just pray this prayer very silently. As I say it, just make this your prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please come into my life and save me? Cleanse me of my sins. Come live in me. I receive your grace and your gift of forgiveness this morning, Lord. I surrender to you. I give you my life and I receive your life. Help me the remaining days of my life. Father, this morning, as we prepare for your invitation, Lord, I know that everyone in this building is not saved. But God, I pray That whoever they may be, Lord, you know them. And God, I pray right now that the sound of my voice, that God, that they would ask you in their life if they haven't done so already. That God, some may get up and be bold and come and proclaim that today to one of us pastors. For others here today, God, that maybe they just need to understand that they need to live 
for the Christ that supposedly is inside of them. That, Lord, maybe some have just, Lord, just had a fellowship with you. And, God, they need to get back into fellowship with you. Lord, for some of these families and families and hurting that are just hurting, God, with sickness and disease and whatever it may be, that, God, maybe some of them would come today and just pour out their hearts to you. Whatever needs to be done today, God, I pray that it will be done here today. In your precious name, I ask it all. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? And you come today as this altar is open for you. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.